Hey everybody, this episode of Nerd Geek Dork is brought to you by LessAccounting.com. That's LessAccounting.com. They're a simple bookkeeping application for freelancers and small businesses. Maybe if old Detroit had used Less Accounting, they wouldn't have been in a situation where a corporation could come up and just buy the whole damn town. So don't end up like old Detroit, everybody. Go to LessAccounting.com. You can uh, you can enter in the, the nerdy, geeky, dorky code. Use the force. That's all one word. Use the force. And uh, then you can get the first month for just a dollar. LessAccounting.com. I'd buy that for a dollar. Hello and welcome back to Nerd Geek Dork, the podcast where we explore the nerdy, geeky, and dorky side of pop culture. I'm Al Adam and with me as always is Pete the Retailer. Hello. And today we're talking about... RoboCop. Yeah, this is one of our favorite films. It's a, it's a 1987 uh, movie directed by Paul Verhoeven, written by uh, Ed Newmeyer, Michael Miner. Uh, it's uh, the story of a cop named Murphy, played by Peter Weller, who uh, then gets turned into a kind of cyborg, uh, part man, part machine, all cop. It's uh, it's also got uh, Dan O'Hurley, Kurtwood Smith, Nancy Allen, Miguel Ferrer, all kinds of good people. Ronnie Cox. It, it, it's full of good acting. Uh, it's a well-made movie that sometimes gets overlooked because uh, it's uh, it's a kind of a sci-fi action movie, but uh, but it's it's a good one. And it's got a big fucking gun. I'm sorry, <laughs> I just had to quote that. Sorry. Um, we can say yeah. that here. Explicit. Uh, today we're joined by our buddies Robert and Jason, who are big fans of the series and have a lot to contribute. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm glad they had a good uh, kind of uh, variety of knowledge there. Totally. Including the novelization, which I'm which, anxious to read now. Heck yeah. But we'll get to that. All right. Shall we start this thing? Yeah, let's go. Let's do it. Let's do it. RoboCop is funny because, uh, you know, it's directed by Paul Verhoeven, and before this he had been known for much smaller kind of, you know, uh, movies about people. And then this was the first, uh, the, the, you know, the, uh, I think he, they sent him the script, uh, and, and at first he, he just saw the title. Apparently everybody saw the title and threw the script away. Nobody, nobody wanted to, like, all they saw was RoboCop, and they threw it away. Because it sounds kind of corny. But then they, uh... Uh, apparently, unless in, unless you're a five year old kid, then it's the coolest thing ever. Right. There weren't too many five year old directors in Hollywood at the time, though. Okay. Now, now the place is littered with them. But <laughs> they um, get some good stuff. Um. So then, apparently, he just you know saw RoboCop, kind of flipped through it, threw it away, and then his wife picked it up, and his wife happened to thumb through it, and she's like, "Wow! Not only does it have a personal story, like it's about people. Like if you, if you re- read it again." It's really about people. Plus, it's got all that blood and gore stuff that you want to do so much. Like, it's got, like, you know, dismemberment and, and blood and, and explosions. And he's like, really? And he went back and he reread it. And he was like, wow, this is great. What an interesting conversation to have with your wife. <laughs> yeah. Right. So then he he became attached to it. And then that that's what, you know, let them go ahead and do it. And he brought a bunch of interesting themes. Did, did he introduce the whole kind of weird Jesus aspect to it? Or was that uh, yeah. already in there? Yeah, no, that's him. He's like a he's he's a, a Jesus guy. I think he's kind of like a Bible scholar or something. Like he's he's very he's very into the whole thing. And apparently, he kept saying he wanted to do like an American Jesus story. Hmm. 
Like the Bad Religion song? Yes, except before that. Okay, gotcha. It's it, I never really picked up on the whole like religious undertones until I was much older, and I was already made aware that they existed. Right. I guess I was just never looking for it, but yeah, it makes a lot of sense sometimes. Adam actually just touched on something. I've watched this movie as a really small kid, like 10, 11, and I've watched it as a teenager, or like when I was 16, 17, and now as an adult, and each time it's like a different movie. Like when I was a kid, it was just a really cool action sci-fi movie, and then as I got older, I was like, you know, it's so violent. And then as an adult, I look at it and I'm like, wow, this dystopian future is speaking to so many aspects of American culture and like how commercialism and everything will like ruin anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they said, uh, you know, one of the things they say in the, I think in the making of documentary, they're talking about how, uh, like the, the, the only, the best people to parody and kind of satire American culture and, and the kind of state of American uh, society, because at the time, you know, it was, it was Reagan America. It was all very much kind of, you know, Rambo, like, you know, USA, USA. And the, you know, the the best way to parody that, granted, the writer was American, but then to actually, you know, bring it to life, uh, you had to have somebody kind of not American. You had to have like a European or somebody who who could just kind of see with an outsider's eye, with like kind of an anthropological eye, like what you know, what, what state society was in and kind of, you know, make a, a big cartoonish version of that, you know, to, to, to display that satire. Was Verhoeven living in the U.S. at the time or did he just watch like a bunch of American commercials kind of familiarize himself? Um, I think he had made like one Hollywood movie before that. And it was still, it was the same kind of, you know, smaller kind of, uh, you know, people movie. Movies about people. But, but uh, I think, I think what Rob asking though is like if he if he was already here and exposed to you know everything that america had to offer yeah yeah okay gotcha. yeah i think i mean i think he was here he had made one movie and then was uh not apparently not um according to him he found it easier to make his kind of movie uh in in uh, the netherlands when uh when there was a you know right-wing extremist government and then once the once the liberals came in, they they started kind of questioning his uh, his morals, mm. and so he was like, "Ah, screw that! I'm going to America." The right wingers over there will like me just fine. <laughs> Do we know if it was his idea to to put in the actual like faux commercials in the movie? Because I've I've read the novelization, and I don't think they have the segments with like Jess Perkins and all that. But I don't think they have actual like faux commercials mm. hmm. yeah I don't know if those are in uh, the actual draft or they, they might have been written on the spot too because I think you know Ed Newmeyer was a, a, not only wrote the script but he was a co-producer too so sure. they were working together the whole time I think you know this is probably one of the first sci-fi movies I've ever seen and uh, <laughs> you mean at the time not, not just now Yes, <laughs> I saw it a couple of days ago. It was the first sci-fi movie I've ever watched. Um, no, because I saw it, I saw it when I was probably about I probably saw a TV edit when I was maybe five or six. Mm. But uh, then I had a VHS copy when I was maybe around nine or something. It was such a weird movie. Like I, I mean, just in terms of the concept. I mean, as a kid, it's a guy who's like half robot and has a gun in his leg. That's all I needed. <laughs> And I was satisfied. <laughs> and then as I got older, like, 
Rob said earlier, you just grow to appreciate it on so many levels. And yeah, it's true. Every time I see it, I'm like, oh, there's something new. Hey, this is weird. Um, when I watched it a couple of days ago, I actually had a laugh to myself because uh, without Alex Murphy, there is no RoboCop because, you know, you need like dedicated cop, all that stuff. Without uh, TJ Laser, you don't get the cool spinning gun thing. But the whole... Um, the whole concept, the whole movie can kind of be traced back to sexual curiosity, which is a very weird statement. Oh. But when, <clears throat> when, <laughs> when Lewis in, and uh, Murphy, they storm the, the place where all the guys are hiding out, like the Boddicker's gang. And I think the henchman is Joe, the one with the like hyena laugh. When she goes to pounce, like to arrest him, he's in the middle of uh, urinating. He turns around and he's like, okay, he has his hands up, but he's like, hey, do you mind if I zip first? She has her gun pointed at him and he kind of like motions down to his crotch. She's looking at him dead in the eye and then she gives in to the curiosity, stares down, and then he punches her in the face, knocking her out, leaving Alex Murphy all by himself. And I was like, if she hadn't done that, the movie could have turned out completely differently. It could have been a very boring movie. <laughs> so if Murphy had, uh, sorry, uh, if Lewis hadn't gotten tempted by this criminal's manhood, yeah, then oh, that was the movie li- would have went down a different direction. Completely. Mm. <laughs> it's like oh wait, the, I think uh, the henchman was Leon. I forget. I always forget the henchman's names. Besides, yeah, me. Leon. Yeah. Okay. Cool. But that ties into the biblical kind of original sin thing, right? Doesn't it? That's that, yes, you know. What is that? Lust? Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. We're extrapolating a lot on that, but uh, you know, it could be. But I mean, sex leading to you know everything. Sex leading to the downfall of man. Yeah. And then Murphy being the you know the the American Jesus in this case, you know, getting killed and then you know coming back being resurrected in order to kind of cleanse the world of its sins he uh took about cleansing in a little bit of a different fashion than jesus did he had a uh semi-automatic 45 going around <laughs> detroit well, that, cleansing people of their sins instantly that's why he's the american jesus that's the uh Ah, Verhoeven was saying that by the end, like when he, you know, his his attitude even changes a little bit too when he becomes kind of like vengeful and, uh, you know, because at first he's very much kind of you know uphold the law and all that stuff and he's not, but then by the end when he's just kind of all out, like you know just walking through and you know blowing everybody away, yeah, he's saying that's his final transformation into like kind of the American Jesus and it's a little weird because he's also. He also seemed to be implying that Jesus, like, uh, you know, at the end of his days was, would be more kind of like that. Like, fuck these guys. But I don't know. When you think about it, Murphy, after he is sacrificed, he doesn't really make too many sacrifices himself. He kind of just, after one night of, you know, going out on patrol and, and arresting some ga- bad guys, he pretty much starts to have, like, the flickers of his memory and instantly starts to piece together what happened to him and go after the criminals responsible. That's true, yeah. He kind of like foregoes the, <laughs> I'm a cop first, you know? The scene where he was having the bad dream and against his creator's orders, he goes out onto the night to look for these criminals who, you know, put him down. It was, you know, instantly the human psyche that the, the cyborg part of him, the human part, 
went toward one of man's more basic desires, and that was for revenge against those who wronged him. It's a super layered movie. It has the potential to be just a shallow, cheesy popcorn flick. It's incredibly deep. Like I said, when everybody saw the title, they just kind of threw the script out because that's, you know, on its surface, even if you just, you know, look at the poster, look at the, you know, the, the, the kind of visual design of it, it looks like it could just be a, a cheesy sci-fi movie. Yeah. But then the more layers that you peel through, like, the more interesting it becomes because it is really about, you know, it's about a, a well... From one perspective, it's about, you know, the American Jesus. But from another perspective, it's about, you know, a, a man, you know, trying to be... It's about masculinity and kind of trying to be, you know, a father and also, you know, a cop is a, is a kind of, like, traditional, you know, very kind of gung-ho masculine role. Uh, like, this guy who finally kind of achieves that, you know, he becomes the hero that, you know, his kid can look up to by sacrificing, a, you know, a certain amount of his... Like, he has to die in order to get through that. yeah. That it, yeah, because he's he's still doing the it's it, that's kind of interesting the son's approval and stuff because he's still doing the gun twirl before he starts having flashes of who he is. Like it's just kind of ingrained in his brain, I guess. Right. Huh. I never thought of that. <laughs> this movie's no, too I, I didn't, deep. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it much because other than when he went to the house where his family lived, they don't really touch upon his family connection other than the scene with the baby food toward the end of the movie where he says I kind of remember them but they're far away they don't really touch upon you know his motivation for being a cop yeah right. they did they, they did more of the family stuff in the TV show that came out in the 90s did any of you guys ever watch that? no saw, I was, I saw a couple episodes of it yeah I was very young uh, I watched some of it I was, I was pretty hooked on that show it was pretty bad but i was very it was robocop so i watched it and learned many many things such as robocop's gun according to that show could not be fired unless it was in his hands Mm. which was had to do with this crazy weird murder episode um away from the serious aspects of the movie uh, a nice trend these days is uh matte finishes on cars right like you'll, you'll see them all over the place and I've been predicting that for years. I've been saying, like, you know what's next? is matte finishes. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> but every time I see one, I automatically think to the four Tauruses in, in RoboCop, which is, to me, it's a four Taurus, yet it's still one of the coolest cars I've ever seen, which is weird. Well, especially, guess, like, like, at the time, the, you know, uh, the standard American police car, the New York police car, or whatever, you know, was was the kind of bulkier. Uh, what was it? A Grand, not a Grand Imperial. What's the? I don't know. Is that kind of you know? Yeah, yeah. The bo- yeah, I know what you're talking. Boxier, boxier car, rectangular. And then you know, after this, then like a little bit, a little bit later, they went and uh, it became the what is it? A Crown Victoria or something? Yeah, I think so. Which yeah. looks almost exactly the same, but it, like you know that that kind of bulbous kind of police yeah. car that they uh, that they. And, and taxi that they adopted. True. Um, so it, it doesn't look as futuristic now in retrospect, but at the time it was like super, you know, it's like, whoa, different police cars. What the hell's going on? Yeah, that's true. Also, I mean, this will probably make anyone who listens to this that has let me borrow their car and not want me to drive their car anymore. 
is whenever I'm in a parking lot with like an incline on the exit, I'm always hoping for those sparks at the back of the car. <laughs> I don't know why. Those are actually really dangerous. I, but I always want it to happen. Always. Speaking of the cars, isn't it? Wasn't it during production that that Peter Weller only wore the upper half of the suit because he couldn't fit really? like his feet under, like under to the to the pedals. Hmm. That makes sense. I was actually thinking about that when I was watching the movie. I was like, did they have to alter the car to get the full suit in? That makes perfect sense. Yeah, I think he was in his, like, boxers or something. <laughs> <laughs> I want a photo of that. <laughs> That's I, a strange request, Adam. <laughs> it's just because it's funny. I mean, I, I also, I've read in a few places that um, one of the guys who worked with um, Peter Weller and capturing, like, the robotic motions and everything, they had made a mix like a mixtape of just like uh, industrial sounds mm. that uh, Peter Weller would listen to to kind of like get into his rhythm. Mm. And I don't know why, but I'd, I'd, I'd want to hear that. I want to hear what was going through his head as he like got his motions going, you know? They've always had it a secret. Like they've never actually played it for anybody other than him. Like Which no is... one really knows what's war on there. It's probably just move like a robot, move like a robot, move like a robot. <laughs> Peter, you're a robot. <laughs> There's Paul Verhoeven doing it in that accent. He's like, move like a robot, move like a robot, move like a robot. See, that would convince me. Like the Dutch accent, I'm like, yes, I am a robot. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> the design for the robot is also, I mean, for RoboCop's design, it's just one of the coolest things. Well, that apparently caused a lot of... Uh, strife on set because they went back and forth like with the you know the the writer and the, and the director and the designer each had a say and they kept kind of going back and forth on what it, what they felt it should look like and this way was too super heroic and this way was too kind of basic you know not robotic enough and this one was like they, they just kind of kept going back and forth and back and forth and delayed it you know that delayed production of the suit long enough so that it it finally just showed up like the day that they were scheduled to start shooting with it. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, that may have because they couldn't really have any preconceived notions of what it was going to look like as they started shooting. So when they started shooting, that for the costume to show up the day of, kind of, it's new, like a fresh idea. Yeah. Well, and then it, after that, then Peter Weller was who had been practicing kind of all these robotic, you know, kind of motions and all that stuff then all of a sudden puts the suit on and it totally affected his physicality differently. And he's like, I can't just instantly step into this and just start shooting. You know, like I need to practice and like, become, you know, like you've just changed my instrument basically mm. and expect me to go on and play. Yeah. yeah. I think they, they halted the production for a few days so he could like relearn his moves. Cause I guess, yeah, you want to be consistent. <laughs> I mean, why does that robot walk a certain way the first half of the movie and then he's skipping? <laughs> I remember hearing, he he took those moves like very seriously. Oh yeah, like he the, seems like the type. Yeah, the whole movement. He was like a hundred percent into the whole robotic flow. It's that it's that mixtape. We need to get a copy of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although, be careful, it might turn you into a robot. Exactly. I wouldn't mind. Not at all. Um, me and Robert, when we were younger, uh, we used to talk about how we wish we had the RoboCop leg. But to dispense iced tea. <laughs> Delicious cold iced tea. <laughs> like it just always had iced tea in it. 
which would be great. That would be. That's what the future holds in cyborg attachments for refreshment. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Some guy in Coca-Cola is thinking that right now. Like, guys, I saw Robocop last night, and (laughs) I need Coke in my life. Yeah. (laughs) The first time I saw Robocop, and a few people sometimes hear it the same way. um, I do. You know what I'm going to say, don't you? Yes, I do. <laughs> There's the scene where we're, I'm sure we're going to talk about Ed 209, but I, I have this in my head now. There's a scene where Ed 209's fighting, following Robocop. Robocop runs down the stairs, and Ed 209's like, I'm going to chase him. Tests out the stairs, and he's like, hey, I can do this. Ed 209 tumbles down the stairs, and it's left thrashing on the level, like on the on the mid-level between the stairs. And he's like letting out these like, growls and howls but when i first saw it i heard him screaming mama 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 and no matter how many times i watch it even though i know what he's actually saying i only hear mama 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 which i guess the first time you hear it it's it's done in your head forever like acdc's uh shook me all night long the first time i heard it as a kid i thought the chorus was she'll be all right now I still sing it as she'll be all right now, which I can't correct ever. It's pretty bad. Yeah, I, I don't hear that at all. I don't. Well, you're old. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was trying to remember the first time I saw it, and I don't. Uh, I don't think I saw it in the theater because that would be what, what year was this? Eighty-seven. Yeah. Yeah, it would yeah, be eighty-seven. Twelve. So I don't know if I would have. It's, it's iffy that I would have gone to see it in the theater at that point. Uh, no, my mom totally took me to see one of the most violent movies of the 80s in the theater. Care Bears? I was like... <laughs> <laughs> no, that was next summer. No, uh, I, t- I remember I was asking her to see it, and when the movie started, I was like, where's Robocop? Where's Robocop? <laughs> repeatedly. <laughs> and I remember at one point, I was like, you know, I got up and went to go get popcorn, and I came back, you know, without permission. I was five. And then RoboCop came on, and that's all. I was like, "Wow, this is a movie. This movie is awesome." It's just, it's just such a well done movie. I mean, it's it. The casting is amazing, and for the budget this movie was shot on, I mean, the the effects, the every, everything just works so well, with the exception of one effect, which I feel like it was shot at the end. They're like, "Ah, eh, we don't have enough money. Let's just make a weird puppet." When they when Are you talking about uh, Morton's. No, not more than uh, Dick Jones' arms. Yeah, when Dick Jones falls out the window and his arms are six oh, yeah. feet long on each side. <laughs> it makes no sense. As but, you know, traditionally, people falling has been a tough effect to do. Yeah. I hear you. But I mean, like, the casting of Kurtwood Smith as uh, Boddicker, yeah. one of the best film villains ever. I mean, you can argue uh, me on that, but, you know. No, he's him. good in that. <clears throat> I mean, he's good pretty much in everything. True. Well, no, he was actually voted like one of the top ten villains of all time. I could see that. Like, I think it was on IMDb. I mean, his lines are quotable as all hell. <laughs> in, in in normal conversation, I quote Boddicker all the time. Yeah. It's funny because he does uh, like he uh, he he reads a little bit like you know Michael Ironside. Like he has that kind of gruff. You know, kind of balding guy. Michael Ironside was originally their their first choice to play Robocop, and then once they they went through that a little bit, and then they're like, "Well, he's a little bit too big and bulky." 
um, to work with the suit. Like once they put the suit on top of him, then then it, he became like like hulking. Which is then didn't Verhoeven just put him in Total Recall after that? Like ah, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> he worked yeah. with him a couple of times, I think. Yeah, yeah that's why he was like his first choice, I think. The design of Ed Two Hundred Nine and Robocop. I mean, we talked about the Robocop design, but the design of Ed Two Hundred Nine is also. I mean, that robot's basically in, what, 10 minutes total of the movie? But it's a design that pretty much everyone knows. Right. Which is awesome. <clears throat> Except if you have to go downstairs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully in the future there'll be more escalator or just, you know, wheelchair accessible or Ed 209 yeah. accessible ramps everywhere. Or if, you, or if you're involved in a demonstration with it, you're probably going to die. <laughs> yes. But again, again, something I never really thought about while watching the movie the other day Ed 209 is an insanely impractical police officer (laughs) insanely insanely impractical because okay during that demo he screws up and shoots the guy which okay that could just be a bug but then the when Robocop comes towards the end and he parks his car to go confront Dick Jones there's an Ed 209 unit waiting there Ed 209 unit goes hey man you're parked in a, uh, you know, uh, like you're not parked in a designated area. You have like a couple seconds to move your cars and automatically has his guns ready. There's no way for him to like detain anyone, arrest anyone, everything. So say if I'm jaywalking, you know, I'm not going to get a ticket. I'm going to get shot repeatedly. Right. <clears throat> but that's the future. Well, one of the things also is like <laughs> zero tolerance. At 209, at 209 really can like respond to a domestic abuse situation like he wouldn't be able to walk upstairs to someone's apartment just blow up the building (laughs) 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 there's so many lawsuits involved with 209 in the future well he's also a a good you know to to go back to the themes of the film and and interestingly like from the um you know when they're working on the screenplay originally they had two different concepts one guy was just working on like a uh a, a cop who becomes superhuman and the other guy was working on a cop that's a, that's a complete robot mm-hmm. and then they got together and they're like oh wait hey wait a minute what if we have a guy who's human but then like becomes basically a robot like a cyborg to, in order to become a cop and not only did it solve their screenwriting problems but it, it kind of then becomes a kind of central theme of the movie that there's like there's this human element uh, you know behind Robocop he's not just you know strictly uh, you know uh, mechanical, you know, kind of follow rules at any cost, kind of thing. He's 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 got a human, you know, brain behind that, and he can make his own decisions, which is fully illustrated by the difference between Ed Two Hundred Nine and RoboCop. That you know, Ed Two Hundred Nine is just strictly following instructions, and so when when you know stuff goes wrong, he ends up you know killing people and and blowing shit up because he's just following the rules without any kind of human thought or emotion. Mm-hmm. Whereas RoboCop has the three directives. To uphold the trust, protect the innocent, and no, uphold the law, protect the innocent, and there's uh, one other. Serve the public serve. trust. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, there you go. And those three directives are pretty much his operating system. You know, there's probably other stuff that did put in there. But those are the real like core. He has like in a in the sense, he's a cyborg with a sense of morals given to him, or Ed two oh nine is pretty much a killing machine. And one of the, the really touching things in RoboCop 2 is they actually all treat him as like a cop, like the other officers. Like they're all like, hey, Murphy, how you doing? How's it going? And they call him Murphy. 
Yeah, because it's not it's not the awe that they have towards him in the first movie because they only see him like those first few times and they're just like, holy shit, look at that gun. This guy's crazy. It's a super cop. I love that guy. That, that's my favorite cop in the movie. <laughs> look at that gun. Did he, say, does, he, he uses an, an expletive, I think, doesn't he? I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, the F word. Yeah, okay. Did he say, look at that fucking gun or look at the size of that fucking gun? Something like that. Yeah, and on TV he says something different. The TV version of RoboCop is actually really awesome because it came. They coined the phrase "Mother Crusher" <laughs> a few times. And I remember I was in high school, I'd be like, "Mother Crusher, that's ridiculous. That's even worse." <laughs> like the one, the, a guy having sex with my mom is not a horrible thing, but a guy like crushing my mom with a foot—that's so much worse. <laughs> I like how that's your your reasoning for that. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, get get some help. Some dude's crushing my mom. <laughs> <laughs> that mother crusher. <laughs> it's RoboCop. Ah, <laughs> uh, never mind. <laughs> oh, Peter Weller is just amazing in this movie was this before uh buckaroo bonsai and all that stuff pete or no no it's after oh. that. it's after okay that was how um, he got it i think one of the somebody had had behind the scenes had worked on uh buckaroo bonsai and then was just like oh you know who might be good peter weller he's available let me give him a call mm, gotcha but i mean he's so good it in the first i mean you only get maybe what 20 minutes of him as alex murphy but in those few minutes it's his characters like it comes off so well like you actually bond to the character like you know you have like you're bummed to see him get shot a million times <laughs> uh just and then even as robocop you kind of feel for him like he's limited in just like the lower half of his face really and what he's coming across and even then there's nothing to it but man i don't know such right a now i'm watching the scene where he's back at the house and he's kind of looking at the pictures and he's looking at the different um, things going like in the bedroom and toward the end of the scene he kind of his wife has come up and tells him that she loves him and his face just the lower half as you were saying is just he's working his jaw back and forth yeah. and he's like making the Robocop mouth which is pretty much Mick Jagger's mouth yeah because it looks like he's almost reaching for her in that moment you know like because it's like she's going to give him a kiss and you can only read that from that face so good yeah and his shoulders look really tense right now he punches the tv yeah also if that house is on the market and you know it's set up for real estate first off like there's like a mess by the (laughs) fireplace there's like dirt all over the floor secondly why is there still a picture of the family on the fridge the realtor just didn't do their job i was just gonna mention that (laughs) i just thought about that the other night too it's just like that you know come on this house is priced to move (laughs) (laughs) It it was a quick turnaround speaking about the whole thing with his lower jaw i think i read on wikipedia or something that 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 was one of the selling points of weller was that he could display pathos really well in just his lower portion of his face Hmm. Hmm. So it's kind of like a challenge, almost, or like like selling points for him to take it, take the job, or for them to hire him, for for him to go be RoboCop. Oh, okay. Huh. I, I guess as an actor, if like no one can really 
see your face and you were in this costume, the challenge of actually portraying emotion must be something that will really draw someone. It's, it's a safety net, too, because if, if this turns out to be a horrible bomb, then most of the film you have a mask on, so nobody can tell. You know, Nobody's going to just see the bottom of your face and be like, hey, weren't you RoboCop? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, there's a story Peter Weller said one time. He was at a movie theater, and it was right when RoboCop 3 came out. So he's walking by, and he saw it's playing in one of the, the auditoriums, so he opens the door and sticks his head in for about a minute, mm-hmm. closes his door, and walks away knowing he made the right choice to not be in it. <laughs> he's just like, yep, just had to see that. I'm good. Well, 2 had some decent things in it. Right? 2? Yeah, it, it had moments. Well, I was going to say 2 actually is really crazy to me now because in the movie, the mayor pretty much sold most of Detroit to OCP, and they're coming now to collect on all the bad debt that the mayor of Detroit has created. And you look at the news now, and Detroit going bankrupt, and you think to yourself, wow, Frank Miller's a genius. (laughs) (laughs) But then you don't. Yeah. (laughs) Apparently, Ed Neumeyer wrote, you know, the guy who wrote one, then wrote wrote a first draft of two, and then there was a writer's strike. Which is why then they hired Frank Miller, because Frank Miller was non-union. He was a comic book writer, and they were like, oh, you can write something, right? And so that, and then it became kind of a, a little bit of a, of a mix of ideas from that. So I don't know if that was Ed Neumeyer's original idea or if that was, if that was Frank Miller. I don't know. Going by some of like, the other Frank Miller things that I've read, he always kind of imagines a dystopian future where corporations are the government and law enforcement rolled into one. So I, I kind of think that most of that was like his idea, right? As well as like all the bad ideas in RoboCop Two are his too. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. You can just blame them all on him. Well, yeah. it's, what's going to be interesting is Frank Miller's apparently writing that eight issue miniseries coming up, where it's it's based on his rough draft of what his version of RoboCop Three would have been. Oh. So it comes out in like September or something like that. So I'm I'm really interested to to read that given what he did on two. Well, the the miniseries he did for part two was awful. <laughs> it made the movie look like a gem. <laughs> so I'm curious as to as to how uh, his draft for three is going to be because yeah, two was just ah oh, so Robocop's bad. going to be on rollerblades. Yeah. Oh man. Well, see, I mean, Robocop two. I mean. I'm 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 sorry to keep going to the sequels, but RoboCop one sets up these characters so well. Um, you have uh, the president of uh, of uh, OCP, old man. He's you know he's well-meaning, but he's also running a business and he's kind of oblivious to some of the shadier aspects of things, like that Dick Jones is an asshole. And then you have uh, the progression of Alex Murphy, who's this stand-up cop, becomes this this cyborg thing and he's just like trying to regain his human his humanity and by the end of the movie he's he's gotten it you know he's kind of like you can tell by the way he moves the sound of his voice he's actually you know like he's emoting more when he speaks um then you go to robocop 2 and for some reason he's like oh no i've lost my human touch again i am super robotic in the way i talk and move and you have um the old man is this like weird, just all about the money kind of dick. It's it's I don't know. There's so many things about that second movie that really annoy me. 
And the second one, it starts off with like I think one of the first scenes with him is he's parked outside his wife's house, kind of stalking her, and he goes back to the the uh, Detroit Police Department. They're like, "Hey, man, you can't be doing that. She's called again. Leave her alone." And I was like, "Whoa, RoboCop's a stalker now." RoboCop oh, Two no. is the best sci-fi Lifetime movie ever. <laughs> 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 My favorite scene coming up. I, I'm, I'm watching the movie at the moment. <laughs> this is when Clarence Boddicker kills Bob Morton. Bob Morton's another and great character. I Bob Morton was just really terrific as the '80s corporate go-getter. Yeah, because they were they were they were you know like there were those like Wall Street movies and stuff like Wall Street <laughs> in the '80s that show you know like corporate greed, all that stuff. And this this movie just had a little bit of everything, you know. Family, friendship, you know, robots. <laughs> Wall Street. Yes. Yeah, and it's, also, it's a good, you know, like, uh, indictment of that, that kind of lifestyle, where it's like that guy's just all about, you know, personal gain and, and, you know, money and power. And then he gets his, you know, he makes a good villain because of that. But yeah. he, and he's not, like, he's not so cartoonish. And, you know, he, he's, he's realistic in the fact that there are, you know, there were a ton of people like that at the time. And then I mean you have you have uh Lewis, Nancy yeah. Allen. Yes. Total positive female character, you know, like just badass. Doesn't take shit from anyone. One of those great gum bubbles. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> and from the start, I mean the first time we see her, she's beating someone up. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from her, you know, her lapse in judgment to take a look at uh some dude's junk. Mm-hmm. She was always on point. I always, it always bothered me that they got to the warehouse and they decided to split up. Yes. <laughs> and I, I was just like, what cop would go into a situation where they know there's armed suspects and this is their home territory? Let's just go two separate ways. Yeah. And so a situation that we don't know about. My my one pet peeve with the movie. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a very good point. But then the rest of the movie wouldn't happen if they went together and played it safe. Exactly. It's all, it's all you know, in line with each other. It has to happen. Yes. Well, is it, is it assumed, can we assume that Murphy literally dies the very first night he's on duty in Old Detroit? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, cause they go, <coughs> they, he's like, hey, I always drive when I break in my new partners, because that's their first time going on the beat, and they're having lunch or something. They get the call, and then she's like, I'm driving this time. So I'm pretty sure it's the same day because he's kind of like still chilling by the driver's seat like they just got there. Yeah, no, it's the same day. Yeah. And that's, that's a fairly fairly abrupt partnership. <laughs> <laughs> it's been very traumatic for Lois. But she, he must have made quite an impact on her, you know, like just those few hours because like she recognizes him instantly, you know, even because it's, it's, it's a few months before he's ready, right? It's at least three months, I want to say. Because doesn't, I believe Morton says, you know, we can have it in running the project going in 90 days. 
okay. but we just need like a human volunteer. A volunteer. Yeah. Yeah, and there's the the New Year scene during his like boot up. Yeah, definitely. And it's it the another weird thing is that gunshot the the kill shot to Murphy <laughs> because the other hundred and twenty seven thousand bullets didn't kill him. Mm-hmm. Um, the headshot takes out a good chunk of his brain. <laughs> like especially if you watch like the unrated version, I feel like there's a little more detail in the back of the head exploding. Oh yeah, it was totally like in Terminator when uh, the T-100 took out his eyeball and it was like in the mirror and nowadays we could tell it was like a, a prosthetic head yeah. but back in the 80s it must have been like, wow, this is so yeah. wild, real looking. But I mean, not to be a stickler, but I wonder, would he be able to function and have those memories with half of his brain gone? Right. Because yeah, they sewed up the little hole in his head but, you know, his brain. <laughs> well, but then also, you know, how much of the you know uh, I, most of it most of what you want I think is the, the just the kind of base nervous system you know like the reptile brain to just control the like a zombie's motor functions right yeah. you, you just want the motor functions taken care of because you don't want too much of the uh, actual you know thinking brain coming in especially for a guy who got killed on his first day at the job <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe it's that just, was actually it's just it's just the ro- it's just Robocop sitting in the chair and like alright Robo it's time to go and he's just like no <laughs> Just gonna sit here. Are you saying that bit? Robocop can't do the crossword puzzle on Sunday? <laughs> well, maybe that leads leads back to what we were talking about earlier about you know his the, the gunshot to his head, his vengefulness later on in the movie where he just sort of single handedly like goes after the specific people that kill him, and his thoughts about his family. I mean, maybe those are the few memories he even still has Ooh. because of that gunshot. You know. Mm. That's whoa, yeah. Because he doesn't really remember Lewis. Yeah. Huh. Right. And so those those small bits are just becoming like amplified exactly. and amplified and, and kind of you know yeah recreated and recreated and that's why they're so strong. And that would answer something I was just about to bring up is that I would I would attribute the the TJ laser gun twirl to uh, muscle memory. But they removed both his arms. At first, he they kept his one good arm. Mm-hmm. Although, that, I don't know if that would be a shooting arm. No, his shooting hand gets blown off. Um, and then the arm subsequently gets blown off as well. Uh, so it wouldn't be muscle memory. But if he had certain memories of his family, of course, he'd have like a driving force for trying to impress his son. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Huh. We really got into the nerdy aspects of uh, RoboCop there. <laughs> well, I want to ask a question. Like, I'm watching the scene now where RoboCop goes to the warehouse, uh, the cocaine warehouse or manufacturing facility. Cocaine warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> completely waste about 20 drug dealers. And I want to talk about the violence of RoboCop. Like, there is the regular version that was in the theater – there's a version that they played on TV, and then there is the unedited version. Which is the best. <laughs> and even I've seen the DVD version, like the original film version, uh, hundreds of times. The first time I saw the Criterion, Criterion edition, I was completely blown away with how much more violence was in the movie. Like, I thought they were like, you know, there was going to be a couple scenes they cut out because they were, you know didn't make sense or the thing they already talked about but then like the scene where the guy's volunteering he gets shot on the table and like how long it was how much blood there was i was like wow this is 
this is gory. And I want to know what you guys think on that was. Like, how do you think the movie would have been in the theaters if somehow they had gotten all the violence past the censors? Well, I, I feel the two key scenes that are, are much more brutal are when Kenny gets gets shot by Ed 209. But by that point, he's already been shot like 30 times. It's just him being repeatedly shot while he's dead, laying on the table. Um, I don't think that one would have much of an impact on people, but the the more detailed version of Murphy getting blown to bits probably would. Because, yeah, I mean, the the hand blowing up, being blown off his arm is uh, in the original cut. And it's it's kind of done in that weird, like, slightly slowed down version. It's slowed down a bit. Mm-hmm. But then in the in the unrated version, you actually see his arm get blown off. Uh, and they just cut into him more. I feel that might strike a chord with certain people. You know, like it might be a little too much for certain people. At the end of his murder scene, Lois actually walks over to him and his body is like curled in a fetal position. There's smoke coming off the corpse and it's just this incredibly huge pool of like spreading blood and she goes to touch him and she's like, oh. And I remember I was watching and I was like, oh man, they really put a number on him. Yeah. Because in the original film version, you know, he's getting shot but there's no like blood or things like that happening. Yeah. You just, you just you see know. you just see his arms missing. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, what did yeah. that happen? Which was a surprise. And there's like dust flying off of him. But there's no real like physical implications that you can see other than like the headshot. But to see that the bl- the blood come out of his body after in the unedited version really brings it home like, you know, this guy was tortured before he was killed. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen the uncut version. Oh, it's it's insane. Oof. Just that, I mean, that one scene is pretty much like the driving force behind it, I think. Right. Now, Jason, you said you read the novel, right? The novelization? Yes. Now... Any any key differences that really stand out to you? Because I, I, when I saw you were reading that, I was like, huh, that'd probably be interesting to take a look at and see if there's, like, any weird takes in a different direction. Um, so far as I remember, that there's a lot of, like, little nuances that weren't in the movie that actually made it even more kind of, like, like an actual, like, sci-fi, like, movie. Like, like all the Turbo Cruisers has descriptions of, of like their computer systems within it. Like they're when they're chasing down the van um, at the beginning of the movie, like it actually describes like, like the chase scene essentially on the computer in the turbo cruiser. Hmm. And they, you know, they mention um, things like how the moon has been colonized. Weird. Huh. Yeah. And then uh, the only one I, other thing I remember offhand is that the chase scene is actually supposed to be at night and they mention like how there's like a moon out and it's like it's not really on a highway it's just through the streets of old Detroit mm. and uh, and I think Lewis falls down an elevator shaft in the in the warehouse or the steel foundry instead of just kind of off onto the lower level hmm there's there's just a lot of little subtle differences like that. The main the main story doesn't really, so far as I remember, doesn't really take too much of a deviation from what's in the actual movie. Yeah, 
because that, that that's a movie. The material, the source material, is something that you could kind of really go off on some crazy tangents and whatnot. Is in the book? Is it the? Is it a narrative telling the story? Like, do you get into Robocop's thoughts in the novel at all? Um, trying to think. Not so much. It's the the whole scene where he dies and he's being taken to, um, like to the hospital and stuff. That's actually like interpreted as kind of like a dream sequence. He's actually like retaining a lot of his thoughts and he's trying to like really remember. So a lot of phrases are like repeated over and over again mm-hmm. as he's trying to like hold on before he like actually dies. So it almost gives credence to. You know, they say they wiped his memory, but yet it kind of gives credence to that how he can sort of keep some of his memories because he's so strong willed to like kind of keep going. Makes sense. Makes sense. The kind of the other thing it gets into is it it delves a little bit more into the relationship of him and his wife. Like during the whole um, initial scene with him and Lewis, and right as they take off, to go um, chase the chase the van down, he realizes he should have called home, and he kind of kicks himself through that whole process, through that whole chase and the gunfight and all that kind of stuff, about like how he should have called his wife before before now. Wow, I'm going to be thinking about that next time I see the movie. Now, <laughs> yeah. does he make any contact with his family in the novel? I don't think he ever really does. Hmm. Who wrote the novelization? Ed Naha. It's definitely, if you like Robocop, it's, it's definitely one of the better sort of movie tie-in novels. It sounds pretty neat. Like, I would want to read it just for his thoughts during the chase. Like, yeah, the movie it, is, you know, so fast. Yeah, definitely. It also kind of explains, there, there's this weird scene in there where he's thinking about his father, like, right before he goes off to... Uh, old Detroit, he, he kind of thinks about his father, and apparently his father like was like assassinated in their home, like from a wow. like kind of a sniper shot or something. And the only thing his father said right before he died was like, "Damn" or something like that. And so when Murphy dies, and Lewis is there, like kind of holding him, the only word that he can like utter is the same thing as like father said. <laughs> Whoa! Wow! Damn! 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 <laughs> it was like some some bitch or something like that. Is is the word? That's that's weird. That's good. That that adds a little more to the kind of masculinity, fatherhood, uh, cop kind of uh, thread of the of the themes. I like it. Well, I wanted to say something like we were talking about kind of the masculinity of the movie well like most of the the police force from what they've shown in the movie there was you know a lot of female officers in the police house when he's first coming in there like take his tour and they showing him like his locker and things and there's a lot of you know gratuitous 80s uh nudity yeah but it was really kind of you know you don't really see any female cops at the time when the movie was filmed but other than that there other than lewis in the movie, there aren't, aren't any female characters. Yeah, except that, the two the two models who are also cokeheads, mm-hmm. and then the girls who appear in the segments. The the I'd buy that for a dollar segments. Oh, you have the the female scientists. Oh yeah, with the glasses. 
Yeah, but she was drunk at the uh, New Year's party. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's also a way of, you know, making sure you know you're in the future. Is, is you know <laughs> gender equality yeah totally. gender gender equality and racial equality like if there's a black president or like you know women doing uh you know equal equal representation of women and men in 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 certain jobs then you know it's like oh it must be sci-fi when i went to detroit a few years ago and i got off the plane my friend picked me up and we drove down like eight mile to my friend's house and i immediately was saying to myself okay this place totally does need robocop it's one of the most <laughs> horrible and like the amount of like poverty that's just plain to the eye like if someone comes to new york and you know they go on their own 42nd street they go to central park it's you know great city but then if you go out to like some places in the outer boroughs you see okay you know every city does have its bad side but when you get to detroit you're literally a few blocks from the airport and a few blocks from actually the gm building and saying to yourself wow I don't. I wouldn't be around here at night. Right. I wish RoboCop was here. <laughs> but you always walk around saying, "I wish RoboCop was here." Oh hell yeah! I was actually at my prom. <laughs> <laughs> he was at his prom and some arms thugs busted in. It's like we're RoboCop. Dancing. <laughs> I wish I could dance with RoboCop. <laughs> Well, that was a good time. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a good, you know, there's a lot to talk about in that movie. It's like we said, it's pretty layered. It's got some good stuff in there. Oh, yeah. And there, there's a lot we didn't even get to cover, too. It's There's just that much to talk about. Uh, there's a remake coming out. Yeah, which, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it can hold up. You know, it's, it, they're going to miss the point, but we'll see. Uh, it, it's going to be awful. It's going to be a total recall remake again. Right. Very bad. Ronnie Cox remakes, you know? Movies that originally had Ronnie Cox that get remade, they just don't work. That's a, we got to get that domain name, Ronnie Cox exactly. Remakes. <laughs> and then, what else is there? What else didn't we get to talk about? Yeah, there's some stuff that we you know recorded but didn't make the final cut. We had a little brief conversation about the statue, which uh, they're, they're putting up a statue of Robocop in Detroit. If anybody's out there, you should be able to check it out. I think next year. I think it's coming out at the same time as the, uh, the, the remake. Mm. So... I hope they don't remake the statue as well. No, that would be terrible. Yeah. All right, so uh, I hope you guys liked that RoboCop thing. We had fun talking about it. I most certainly did. It was a very easy flow and conversation. Uh, and uh, we'll be back in about uh, two weeks or so. We'll talking be- about something else. Something completely.